Hello and welcome to the Marketing That Matters podcast, casual conversations for purpose-driven women. Each week we'll talk about what's grabbed our attention, productivity hacks making our life easier, and chat about a purpose-led brand. This week on the podcast, we're talking about a very controversial topic, vaccinations. We look into an absolute boss lady, Whitney Wolf Heard who's created two apps that you would have heard of for sure. And our brand feature this week is Dove. And we're sorry it's taken us so long to get to this purpose-driven brand. Welcome back, Jade. We've had a little break. Yes, we have. have. I've been good, really busy. How about you? Yeah, good. It feels like um, it's only been a week or something <laughs> since we've last recorded, but it's probably been a month or two. I think it's been two um, months. We've had so much going on. Oh, my gosh. People so have still the- been commenting and saying they've been listening, so I feel like there's all people have still been going back and listening to episodes even while we've not, not been releasing new apps, which has been great. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear that. So for those of you who don't know, Alicia and I just kind of got um, a little bit busy all at once um, and we decided to just pop this on pause for a bit and then continue with the next season, we're going to call it, with maybe the next 25 episodes. Wow. <laughs> Big commitment 25. right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, first episode of season two. Yeah. Um, yes, we have been not only uh, busy with our business, JNA Marketing, but we have also have little ones and we're getting into that winter season where they just happen to get sick all the time. So unfortunately the ball that dropped was the podcast. (laughs) Something had to give. (laughs) Something had to give. Um, Aiden, my littlest, just just got over something and it meant I had him last week while juggling my work and that's always tricky and I feel like I have a probably a few people I can talk to and tell, but then some others I hide it and mm. some, I mean, clients and suppliers. I don't know if I should just be honest now. People are pretty understanding with family commitments these days, but for some reason I've still got my um, my expectations from the industry, like before kids, and I don't feel like I should be working and juggling them. <laughs> so I just kind of hide it only yeah. when they're sick. But some, of the, some people I, I explain it and they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to these days. And I think it's getting more common though. A lot of people with, you know, lockdown, various lockdowns and things like that, people are working around kids a lot more than they have ever been. Totally. Totally. No, everyone I've said it to, to be honest, is is so understanding and, you know, you often say, do you want me to call you back or can we push any Mm -hmm. deadlines? So everyone's been really good about it. I don't know why I get scared to disclose it. (laughs) I know. We're so strange like that. They're well now. I know. (laughs) Let's hope they stay well. Fingers crossed. I know, I know. Okay, so should we get into the first segment? What yes, has yes. got your attention, Jade? So this week I want to talk about a really controversial topic, vaccinations. Now, I will preface this with the discussion is not going to be about whether people should get the COVID vax or not. We're not going into that here. We're talking about um, the use of marketing from the healthcare industry to promote the COVID vaccine, especially in the US. So local governments in the US are turning to micro-influencers in hopes to increase the vaccination rates for COVID. 
In an article from The Atlantic, they said the biggest public health campaign of the 21st century so far will involve all the classic tools, TV and radio spots, flyers and billboards, but an army of influencers may end up being just as central. Now, I thought this was really interesting as I was so surprised to see influencers being used in this way in the US and that you could actually see that they were being um, approached to go and get the COVID vaccine and be obviously um, sponsored to talk about them. And I just I thought it was so fascinating. What do you think about it, Alicia? Yeah, reading this article, it really made me change my view on how much they have thought about the repercussions if people didn't feel the need to get it. And they've really gone to the core of who could influence them the quickest and the hardest, especially if they were even on the fence. Yeah. And I don't think they thought um, necessarily a spot being ads could do that if they weren't sure. And that's what's been interesting about how much weight they've put on the influencer, I suppose, segment of the marketing plan for this campaign. Um, Just on that, they actually said influencers look like a simple solution to a common problem for public health communicators. They need to reach the people who don't want to be reached, but who spend a lot of time on the internet. And I thought that was really Mm. interesting. So a lot of these people, you know, might be reached in mainstream mediums, but maybe they're not paying attention. Um, And these people who don't want to be reached by the government, for example, they're now showing up in their Instagram feed or their Instagram stories. It says innovators have the most to gain from intrinsic value of the innovation and are the most enthusiastic about adopting it early. So I thought that was interesting about how they're early adopters and people probably could, they would buy it, even if it says paid partnership now, probably because of laws, they probably Mm -hmm. would buy that these influencers are just going and doing it anyway, even if they might've been on the fence about it, they can't say that. Mm. So these people that are got huge reaches are going and getting it. So it almost makes people feel that they are left behind if they're not. Yeah. Well, actually on that though, um, specifically in the US, they're targeting micro-influencers, so less than 10,000 followers. Right. And the reason they've done this is they said what's important is that they're not professional influencers, they have jobs. The vast majority have never ev- even been paid for a post before when we contact them. They have real connections with their followers and their content is seen as organic. Like you said, most people are going to assume that the content from them in a vaccination point of view is going to be organic. So I think that's exactly. a really key thing. They're targeting influencers, influencers in quotation marks who don't normally get paid for posts. So people are seeing them and assuming they're organic versus being a sponsored post or an ad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's crazy. Very about clever. Them. Very clever. I think it just goes to show how important engagement is. We've, talk, we've spoken about it before about engagement versus followers, but... Really, I can't explain it enough how important, how you can get quite valuable reach with these micro-influencers. You don't have to go to the one with million, you know, hundreds of thousands of um, followers. You can go to the micro-influencers and you actually can make really good traction depending on the brand and definitely looking at that engagement. I think I've done a post about it um, this week. I actually just did a post about this week where I spoke about, um, the importance of looking into the engagement on an influencer and how, Mm. how, um, how much cut through they're getting and how many people are actually engaging with them. Yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting how they said they're taking the approach of the anti-vaxxers. If the government's top-down communications aren't getting through, they said, why not try what the anti-vaxxers do and go bottom up? 
which I think is quite interesting because I guess a lot of anti-vaxxers would have quite of a platform on social media. So they're kind of making sure they're in the same places. Wow. Mm. That's interesting. So they're not, they're not using the anti-vaxxers though. No, obviously not. But th- th- I think they're, they're saying that part of the strategy in order to compete with oh. them, I guess, is and, you know, get out the to information with they want to like people is to is to be where where their platform is as well. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, think- I, I want to um, say this one line about um, the inf- innovators being early adopters as well. Um they don't need to be influenced, obviously. They are the influencers, so that's why it makes sense. However, organisations should harness their influence, use targeted communication to activate word of mouth between innovators and early adopters. So brands that have influence as well should get amongst it. So not only – were you just about to talk about this? Yeah, I was, yes. <laughs> At least you could see yeah. my face. <laughs> yeah, brands that – um, yeah, I can see your face. Brands that, um, yeah, so it's not just the influencers, but if there's brands that have some influence, they should also get on board and be involved. Yeah, so there's an article in um, Ad Age just recently and they said, um, talking about how brands can play a role in the vaccine conversation, which mm. I was so interested because I'm like, really, you're going to tell brands to get involved in that conversation? Because I feel like a lot of brands wouldn't, wouldn't because there's just so much pushback on that at the moment. Like it's a very, you know, um, debatable topic at the moment, I think. Mm. And I find it really interesting. Yeah, Adage was talking about um, how brands can get involved and the best way to utilise their voice, I guess, in order to get people vaccinated. One of the things was uh, they said uh, that people should, like brands should be tweeting or posting about COVID vaccination they should be in in some way and then the other thing was that so people who are obviously uh, this was specifically on Twitter but they said people who are on the platform for entertainment purposes are underexposed to government and vaccine related information so that brands should be exposing them to that information through them because they're not getting it through other avenues like the mm. government websites and things like mm. that. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. So we'll put a link to that one in the show notes as well. And before we close on this, I was thinking that this was quite a new concept to use influencers in regards to, you know, getting people vaccinated. But it's actually not as new as you think. So in the 1950s when polio was rampant, Elvis Presley widely publicized his vaccination which is Mm. I thought I did not know that and um, to encourage influenza vaccinations in 2010 uh, there was a I think it's a non-profit in Louisiana used influences in mainstream media so on billboards and tv ads and things like that and then in 2010 Sweden created a vaccination badges for young people to post on social media kind of like the mm. voting that they do in the US when you mm. get your sticker and yeah so that was really interesting yeah. there's other ways that it's already being done in in other ways it's just now becoming a bit more noticeable i guess no definitely so all of you even with your 300 followers get out there and influence them to yeah. va- get vaccinated <laughs> You're a micro, micro. You're a micro, micro. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Jade, what has got my attention this week is I have found us another mentor in business and I know we love our lady mentors. Yes, we do. Have you heard, have you heard of the name Whitney Wolfherd? I, do you know what I had, but I couldn't pinpoint who she was until I read about it for this episode. 
All right. So some background. At age 22, she started working on an app and three, with three other guys. She was the one to name this little app. That name, she called it, was Tinder. So just, you know, just a little app. She just, <laughs> she just made that name up. Yeah, just a little app. Two years later, she was forced to leave. So at age 25, she rises and founds another little app. And you know what that app's called? You know, just, just a little app called Bumble. So with the help from early investor, Russian billionaire, Andrew Adrieve, I hope I've said that right, an article called The Tech Billionaire Who Is Putting Women First said Bumble rather poignantly is all about putting women in control, which is exactly what we want. We talk about on this podcast and love it. The central focus of the app is that only women can initiate a conversation heterosexual match heterosexual matches, heterosexual matches, sorry. It is a simple idea, but one that makes a world of difference to those on the dating scene who have been bombarded with unwanted messages from men. So, Jay, this article, it goes. I just want to say a little snippet from it. In mid-Feb, she achieved a major feat, becoming the youngest female CEO ever to take a company public in the US. Once listed, shares in the US the company swiftly shot up to more than $76 each and it's now valued at more than $13 billion. On her Instagram, when it went public, Whitney wrote this to anyone going through a setback, a low point or a rough patch to anyone who feels disempowered in their relationship or who's had the courage to make the first move in a health into a healthier one today is for you. The businesswoman posted on Instagram on the day she took her company public with her, his baby on his hip on her hip. This is the outcome of starting over again when it feels like the end. It's a testament to new beginnings, new paradigms, and new norms. Today has shown that barriers can be broken when we believe in a better way. Bumble is the outcome of the fiercely dedicated team who've worked tremendously hard to show that women can, can, should, and will make the first move. When relationships are better for women, they're better for everyone. To all the first movers, whether on our platform, in business, or in life, you're what today's about. Never take no for an answer, believe in yourself and turn your pain into purpose. Most importantly, treat people with kindness and dream big. So good. (laughs) (laughs) I just felt so motivated by that. And maybe it's because she's made two very successful businesses. And if you're going to hear it from anyone, let's hear it from someone who has just absolutely dominated and created, you know, I'm sure when she left at 25, you can read more into that, how, what happened and why she left Tinder. But to, to then go from stepping away from a company that she was at the fact, like, you know, literally named and to have to leave mm. to then creating a new one and to have that, you know, have, um, you know, have it valued at $13 billion, just absolutely incredible. And I just think good on her. And I'm so glad that she said it so clearly and motive and put though and use the platform to motivate others to achieve big. It's yeah. just, or just even overcome, overcome pain and overcome when they think that they've, there's nothing left to say, just keep your head up and try again, I think is just so motivating and refreshing. I know. Cause not only uh, do you have to, you know, reinvent yourself after you've come away from Tinder, like she did, but also being a woman actually does make that harder. It's not, it's not as easy. Um, she spoke to Bloomberg and she said, hopefully this will not be a rare headline. Hopefully this will be the norm. She was talking about women account for half the world's population, but self-made women like herself account for less than 5% of the world's biggest, of the world's 500 biggest fortunes. Wow. So it's really nice to see 
someone like her in this position, but then who's also advocating for women to to get more women in that position. Yeah. Because I think it's interesting that we're, we, I mean, we love that she does this, but she doesn't have to, she doesn't have to go out there and advocate for women to get into the same position she's in or, or, you know, drawing light on how hard it is. Mm. Um, So yeah, it's really nice. I think, can we just talk about Bumble for a sec as well? Because I, when I first saw that, I was like, 13 billion, how is this little dating app worth? Like, <laughs> what is going on? I didn't realize they had, um, so they obviously got Bumble Date, then they've got Bumble BFF and Bumble Biz. So like, right. if you're just obviously look, you're looking for a love interest, then also if you're looking for just a friendship, which I thought was really mm. interesting. And then also if you're mm. looking for someone in business, like like-minded people in business. So they've done really well to kind of branch out into those other avenues as well. And I think from memory, when I first heard about them in Australia, they were using kind of micro-influencers like we were just talking about before or the general public Mm. to become ambassadors and do kind of Mm. bumble events. I don't know if you remember seeing Mm. those. So I think that they've been really innovative in the way that they've done things as well. The the Bumble BFF and Bumble Biz is almost separating out what you're, they already have in the US, which I think is called Meetup. I think I used this in um, New York when I did a photography course and I wanted to meet people that were in New York and I was living in New York at the time and I wanted to meet people that were also into photography but wanted to go shoot with someone else <laughs> and because I I... <laughs> I am really like because you had no friends (laughs) I had no friends yeah no actually I had friends but they just all didn't have they weren't that interested in that so I I was you know I'd already gone and shot all the main things in New York that you can go photograph yourself like I remember one day after work because I I did an internship in New York um, a couple of years ago and I remember one day after work I raced home got my camera and got on the train to go to Brooklyn to get the brook get the shot of the city from the Brooklyn Bridge and I stayed there so late that to come home, I knew I had to go from Brooklyn straight into Midtown by myself with all my gear. And I was like, Alicia, what have you done? I'm like by myself with all my stuff. I was just like clutching onto my thousand dollar camera being like, no one take it. No one take it. Like I wouldn't even do that in Perth, let alone all the way through central New York. Oh my gosh. But I actually felt pretty safe, to be honest. Like I, I was going to say, so you, cl- you survived. <laughs> yeah. I, then I needed meetup, right? Because I needed to be with someone. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I need people. I knew people. So anyway, back to the Bumble BFF and Bumble Biz. So similar kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. And- I think as well why I love her, she's publicly blocked um, misogynist users. She's banned gun photos on the platform, flagging images or inappropriate images that shouldn't be sent through direct messages. And just the other month they updated their terms and conditions to ban body shaming as well. So I think mm. what she is talking about with about putting women in control with bumble they're really uh delivering on that through the, the actions they're taking no definitely um a great company and being head and headed up by such a powerhouse like her is incredible so her name is whitney wolf Heard. don't forget it she's one to watch our brand feature this week is dove Dove started in 1957 in the US with their revolutionary new beauty bar at the time. It had a patented blend of cleansers and moisturizing cream and the iconic bar is supposed to rinse cleaner than soap, leaving your skin clean, soft and smooth. 
Dove's grown from a beauty bar into one of the world's most recognized beauty brands. Today, they offer a range of products, body washes, hand and body lotions, facial cleanser, deodorant, shampoos, conditioners, hairstyling products. Dove states, women have always been our inspiration since the beginning. We have been wholly committed to providing superior care to all women and to champion real women and real beauty in our advertising. So I've had a look at Dove and it seems they're committed to helping women realize their personal potential. And for over a decade, they've been working to make beauty a source of confidence, which I found really interesting because I do feel it's a really hard industry. I think we we spoke about this on an episode before about the beauty industry always making you feel inadequate in order, and that's how they get you to purchase, is giving you that emotional feeling of inadequacy, I guess, so that you purchase the product. What I like about Dove at the moment is they're advocating for inclusive beauty through empowering young people and amplifying underrepresented voices which I think they've been doing really, really well. They really came into their own from their Real Beauty campaign in 2004. Um, For those of you who don't remember, the Real Beauty campaign used uh, women of different shapes and sizes and colours, and it was really one of the first time a beauty brand had done this in a big way. The Real Beauty campaign challenged airbrush stereotypes established by the personal care industry and rallying around the real beauty of women everywhere. Dove didn't just sell the beauty, but self-esteem and acceptance, becoming a brand grounded more in social and emotional benefits than functional ones. So mm. Alicia, what are you thinking about Dove? Well, we know a lot about Dove because it was a, a big brand that we would speak about a lot when we were teaching at uni, if you do remember. It was mm-hmm. a brand in, um, I think it was in strategic branding that we focused heavily on that real beauty campaign only because it was so, so bold for the time and we it was fantastic to show the advertising students about when you have a unique selling proposition being being exactly this that committed to helping women realize their personal potential then let's show that with real people and helping women realize this was was by showing them reflecting the stereotypes on this or not the people in the in the community rather than just having models yeah so that campaign went incredibly well and it looks like they haven't turned back from what I've read they have just gone on to becoming almost the the leader I would say in this space would you say yeah definitely I was surprised because other than that campaign I really couldn't put my finger on anything else that they've done recently but doing a little bit of digging, I've uncovered a few things they've done even in the last five to 10 years, and they are mm. still doing some massive things in this space. So at mm. the moment, they have their no digital distortion mark, which means they haven't digitally altered those minute, those images, which I think is really refreshing to see in that industry because it's yeah. not very um, common. They said with this no digital distortion mark, we're pledging to show women just as they are. Mm. In I have to go look at these for myself, you know. I was just like, I really want to have, yeah, the images, they aren't, they look yeah. pretty real. Like, and considering we probably see people, every image we probably see has got a filter or Photoshop. Like even now the everyday person can filter exactly. their face. So it's quite raw to see images with no t- retouching. Yeah. Because- and they actually have guidelines on it. So there's like a PDF about the guidelines that they abide by for oh, the digital So it's very structured. Good. Very structured. Yeah. yeah. On, on what the, what anyone can on do what that to means. one yeah. image. Yeah. And then are you going to talk about, um, did you see that you can, they actually then supplied them on Getty? Oh, did they? 
Yeah, so they um, they provided they provided five thousand images um, featuring one hundred seventy nine different women, all of which were women from a variety of under um, underrepresented backgrounds. And these images were made available for public use. And like the Shutterstock stunt marketing campaign from 2017, this creates a sense of ambassadorship of these women that they came from Dove, you know, Dove photo shoots, but they made them available so all brands can use these different types of women. That's awesome. How cool is that? Yeah, they're doing such a good job. Yeah, and what I did find is that when they do something, they, they really do... They really do then sort of advocate in the space. They say brands can do more to showcase reality and take this unnecessary pressure away from the consumer. By doing so, we can have a positive impact on the lives of young girls. And they've really, that's that's a quote from um, their website. So they really do, they do try and shout that as much as they can, that we are putting added pressure on our on the young generation and gosh, every generation, I feel it. And I'm not the young generation. I know Um, the unnecessary pressures. We already have enough pressures. Like, so just, just let us see real people and let us, and let us not feel like we've got to try and be a certain way or look a certain way. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's, it's definitely an uphill battle, but it's refreshing to see some brands at least paving the way for others I think some other interesting things that they've done is they partnered with Twitter to identify negative tweets about beauty and body image and they responded to them which I think is so interesting and then they also did something around the same time they did a creative ad about the ramifications of body shaming and it was around I think one of the Academy Award shows about celebrities like you know how everyone just kind of Mm. use the red carpet and picks apart the celebrities, that kind of thing. So they had an ad around that and like the ramifications involved in that, which I thought was really interesting. I was talking to a friend quickly about something on uh, the celebrity Alicia Keys. She, a couple of years back, I think it's a couple of years back. I don't know how, how soon it was. She, how recent it was. She's said she's not wearing makeup anymore to any of these events. Yes. Did you see that? Is that recent? Yeah, I do, is she still wearing makeup? I don't know. I thought she wasn't, it was like an ongoing thing or, I, yeah, yeah, it was definitely a few years ago, maybe like two years ago when she first came out and said it maybe. Mm. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Totally, totally. She should be an ambassador for Dove. Yeah, they should use her. <laughs> I think I want what sticks in my mind, and I don't know if you've seen this, and I'll put it in the show notes for anyone that hasn't, but I think around the time of the Real Beauty campaign, they were actually one of the first to do like kind of like a bit of a YouTube campaign, I guess. So uh, coupled with the Real Beauty campaign, they had these long form videos on YouTube. And I don't know if you remember seeing them, Alicia, but it was um, artists. Oh, massively. They would have had so many hits. Yeah, so artists drew... Um, so they had like a regular customer, for example, for example, me, and I described the way I looked to, to an artist and the artist drew it. And then they got someone else to describe the way that they looked and drew it. And it was so interesting because when people were describing themselves, they were saying negative things or, you know, that they looked older or wrinklier than they actually did. And then when someone else described them, they had described all their 
positive features and how good they yeah. looked. And then so they put the two images next to each other. It was so fascinating to watch. It was it was a really good um, insight into, I guess, people's self-esteem, which was almost mm. a little bit sad. Yeah, mm. yeah. But I think they're um, they're doing it in a very positive way. But that's mm. a really good one to watch. So it's called Dove Real Beauty Sketches and they were released on um, the one I'm thinking of is it were released April 15th, 2013. And guess how many hits it's had? <laughs> 10,590,535 years. So very, very successful campaign. So I'm talking about it and everyone's like, yeah, we've seen it. <laughs> yeah, 10 million people have seen it, Jade. <laughs> no, That's because it was yeah, so very, good. So good. And definitely um, a brand with a purpose. And I can't believe it's taken us till season two to get to this brand. <laughs> Sorry, Dove. We should have started off with you. But anyway, you're kicking off season two. So yeah, really, really interesting one to look into and dive into. And they are leading the space, especially in the digital the digital. Um, technology space like if you think about that that everything you just mentioned from gosh going back to exactly 2013 when those youtube um those youtube videos were released it's all has digital at its core yeah so it just goes to show that if you get a really strategic digital thinker you can create real reach that has lasting lasting value for sure. And you know something else I want to touch on that they haven't done? It's a lot of people put a lot of time, effort, energy into things like packaging, logos, colors, design. I don't think Dove's changed much in the last 10 to 15 years in terms of like their bottles look the same, their, their packaging, their logos, their colors. Like mm. they ha- they're putting focus into the areas that need it the most. That covers it for this week. Make sure you leave us a review or follow us on Instagram at Marketing That Matters Pod. We love a chat. Thanks for listening to the Marketing That Matters podcast. Mm-hmm.